Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. My name is Maggie Riddle. I am a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan, and it is my pleasure to introduce the next panel, Built to Last, the importance of inclusion and diversity in sports organizations, sponsored by Wasserman. This panel is also part of the business track, sponsored by Ticketmaster. The panelists today are Allison Feaster, Director of Player Development and Personal Growth at Boston Celtics, Shelly Pizarra, EVP of Global Insights and Strategy at Wasserman, Catherine Carlson, SVP of Revenue and Strategy of the Philadelphia Eagles, and Scott Pioli, former NFL executive and television analyst. This panel will be moderated by Liz Moulton, co-lead of the sports business practice at Spencer Stewart. The panel will be 45 minutes long with 10 minutes at the end for questions. If you have any questions, please put them on Twitter and using the hashtag inclusiveorgs. With that, I'll pass it off to Liz. Thank you. Thank you everyone for coming on Saturday morning. Um, the origin of this panel has been, well, it's something that's been long in the making and over the years here at um, SSAC. And the idea behind it is that we in sports um, really have a lot of good intention to try and diversify our front offices and the business side of sports. And we're still falling very flat. You see through the Lapchick report and others that the grades that sports leagues and teams get are still well below what they should be. So we have an amazing panel here that exemplifies trying to change that dynamic. I'm gonna have each of you introduce yourselves and then we'll get into a good discussion. I'm gonna right. start with Allison. Awesome, um, Allison Feaster, uh, Director of Player Development and Personal Growth for the Boston Celtics. Shelly Pissara, I lead um, Global Insights and Strategy globally. Uh, Catherine Carlson, uh, I'm the Senior Vice President of Revenue and Strategy at the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Scott Pioli, I, I'm currently underemployed. I work several <laughs> different jobs uh, as a consultant also for CBS, uh, but 27 years in the NFL as an executive. Great. Okay. Thank you, guys. So there's a lot to talk about how each of these people have made a huge difference in this dynamic of diversifying. And we could talk a little bit about, we should talk a little bit about why diversity is so important um, in so many ways from a business perspective, a moral and ethical perspective, and just um, as our world continues to evolve. But there was an article this year in the Wall Street Journal that got a lot of traction mm -hmm. about the Philadelphia Eagles having more women in the front office and the business side. Um, really great article. I was very proud to have been a part of recruiting mm -hmm. several of those women there. What, what has your experience been like to go to, as a career, in your career generally as a woman in sports and to go from the NBA and NBA team to an NFL team and the importance of women leadership? Uh, well, it's an interesting question. I'll actually go back further than um, my NFL and NBA experience, but I started off my career about 25 years ago and I, I was in Australia. I grew up in a small rural town and I had this passion for sports. And where there was this new sports degree, and it was a, a master's degree in sports management. And I distinctly remember about my first week uh, at classes, I, I had a professor, and he said something, and it really stuck with me. He said, half of you are going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Mm. And I said, what is he talking about? Mm. And then it dawned on me that it was half the room. It was the women in, in the, in the, in the, in the um, classroom. So I definitely have a little perseverance and determination. I'm not going to let this comment 
throw me off my aspirations to work in sports as a woman. But then I started my, my, um, my career in rugby league in Australia, and um, I was the only woman in the entire organization. And that's a very, not uncommon in, in our, our industry. However, building credibility in a sport like rugby league, have you seen rugby league players? They're big guys. <laughs> then I can play, work in the NFL. That's a whole different story. Uh, but one of the challenges that I had from a credibility standpoint as a woman in sports was that what does a woman know about rugby league? Mm -hmm. If I gave you a dollar for every time the guys in my office would say, what does a woman? In Australia, you say, what does a Sheila know about rugby league? Mm -hmm. um, it was really frustrating. So I actually went out and got my coaching certification in rugby league. Oh, wow. So you may not know it from this physique, but I'm actually <laughs> a, a qualified rugby league coach. And the, the amount of um, credibility that builds when you're you know, trying to start out your career, it was just a little taste of what was to come throughout my career. And so to, to show up to the, um, you know, I've worked at various organizations along the way, some very diverse, like the Walt Disney World Company was one of the most diverse companies that I've worked for. And quite frankly, it had to be. You know, Disney um, welcomes over 100 million guests on an annual basis. They had to make sure that their, their staff matched that. And I thought, so I learned a lot about diversity and inclusion through that. Um, but then fast forward to working, had an opportunity to, um, to come to the Eagles, and my first, first day on the job, I show up to the uh, executive team meeting, and four out of six of our senior leadership are women. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a rarity in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I think it's evolving, and I'm, I'm happy to be part of that, but that's definitely an exciting uh, development in our sport. And yeah. it gives me hope for everyone out there that there is opportunities uh, for women in our industry. One of the things I want to say about that is almost every search I lead, I'm doing two right now for CEOs of pro teams. They say, I really want women leaders at every search. And the challenge is actually that there's not enough women leaders coming up. So that's a mm -hmm. whole other thing we have to address. But Allison, talking about credibility and being, I was talking to Rich Gotham yesterday about your, Rich Gotham's uh, CEO of the Celtics, about plucking you into the basketball operations. I think one of the most poignant things this year has been about how the sport of basketball is actually such a, the men and the women really revere each other. Yeah. And it was kind of came out so much with Kobe and his right. daughter. But I right. think what that showed was that, you know, Sue Bird and others who we know are at this conference are really, and you are really respected by the men. Right. But there's got to be ways when you walked into the front office and the basketball operations that you had to show credibility too. Well, you know, I come from a culture um, of, of a company that really was deliberate and is deliberate about, you know, including women and and having diverse faces you know, throughout the organization. I spent, before arriving with the Celtics, um, spent three years at the NBA where you know, the leadership is a top-down thing. Yeah. The leadership really stressed um, you know, having diverse faces all around. Adam Silver, um, and including women and diverse faces, wanted to include former players in the mix as well because there might not have been enough you know, across the, on the business side and, and the basketball operations side on the team side as well. So, um, and, you know, those types of leadership, you know, deliberate decisions where, you know, you, you target specific, you know, organizational, um, you know, representatives like, like former players. So it's, it's been great for me. I haven't really faced any adversity, so to speak, um, being one of the few women on the b-ball side. I'm really used to being uh, one of only, um, you know, throughout my life and throughout my career. So it's been, you know, time after time practicing, you know, for this moment. But 
Um, coming to the Celtics, it's been a very smooth transition. Rich Gotham, Danny Ainge, Brad Stevens, all of them mm -hmm. have been very open-minded, very welcoming, and very you know, eager to hear a different voice. And it comes from the top, and Adam has said, hasn't he publicly said he would like 50% of all NBA coaches right. to be women? Mm -hmm. Right, he, he did mention that, and I think that's, you know, it's, a, it's a, a very great, very bold statement to make, but I think what's most important is that we get the right people, you know, in the positions, and a lot of times women haven't had access to, to certain roles, um, officiating being one of them, you know, in the past, definitely coaching where the NBA now has 11 you know, women sitting on benches, uh, tons of others in player development roles and in front office roles. So um, you know, little by little, step by step, we're making great strides in the NBA mm -hmm. and across the league office and across the team side. Yeah. And giving access, Scott, I think that's one of the big lessons from all of the amazing work you're doing. I do think the NFL generally as a sport is just behind where the NBA is in terms of no driving um, diversity generally, women and people of color. But can you talk a little bit, tell the crowd a little bit about your, the work you've been doing on equalizing the playing field and getting more women into leadership roles and people of different backgrounds too, not just women? Yeah, I, you know, I just have, um, I've always been a part of football my entire life and from growing up as a kid, um, it's supposed to be a very inclusive sport, right? Everyone is supposed to do everything right. together. Then as you get older, you realize that we're um, inclusive for only certain segments of the population. Um, I've been very intentional in the work that I've done, um, but without getting into the long details of stories we shared <laughs> back behind stage, some of the reasons, um, just the bottom line is I have two sisters that were better than me in every way and <laughs> more accomplished in every way, and they had very, very limited opportunities as opposed to me, um, and that always stuck in my head uh, as to how fundamentally wrong that was. And um, I just, I've always, known that I've had this privilege looking like I do, mm -hmm. and I've just never thought it was very fair or um, that it should be that way. So I've just spent, again, without getting into the, all the details now, because it'll take far too much time, but um, I, I just don't understand. Um, I hear, we were talking backstage too, about this whole idea that it's a great um, business model. And yes, it is, we all know that. We all know the statistics that have come out about more diverse organizations, whether it be gender, race, um, the gay lesbian community, how it helps in terms of the business model. Mm -hmm. But now that we know all that, um, that's never really been my driver. To me, it's just been something that's supposed, it's fundamentally right to just do the right thing. Of course, it's a good business model. Um, and I understand some of us have to talk about it being a good business model, but why anyone else up here on the stage or anyone out there shouldn't be involved in football or have an opportunity in football, whether it's coaching, um, whether it's on the business side or football operations. And I think part of my, my goal and mission is, it's interesting, Catherine, you know, you're on the business side, and I think when we look at the Lapchick report and we look at a lot of the work, mm -hmm. I think that the way that some of the major sports, and my sport included, which I love dearly, um, the way that we hide these things is we, we hire people in certain segments of the organization, say, or, or the operation within football and different NFL teams and say, wow, look at what a, what a wonderful job we're doing here. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the football side of the house, the limitations that we have with coaches, trainers, video, yeah. scouting, front office, um, it's just not necessary. And, and uh, you know, when you, when you mentioned, Catherine, um, the, the, what you've had to go through when you've been told that, well, how do you know you've never played the game? Mm -hmm. Well, with all due respect, there's a number of head coaches and general managers, mm -hmm. assistant yeah. coaches right. um, that have never played the game at any level, let alone just college. 
um, that's never, it's, it's never a reason, it's just an excuse. I want to get to the data behind it with Shelley's doing some insights from Wasserman about uh, diversity. What do you think of the Rooney Rule? Uh, I think it was well-intentioned when it came out because it's like anything. Um, people that look like me have spent a great deal of time in this country mm -hmm. creating models and systems that have, um, that generally I will say have good intentions and have a good plan. And we roll these ideas out and they start to do a little bit of work, yeah. but we don't understand that there are people on the other side that are trying to always find a workaround to make sure that certain rules don't, don't work because they don't want to relinquish their power or their, their space or they want to eliminate the competition because they're not really as competitive as they say they are. Mm -hmm. So the Rooney Rule was a very good idea. It was a great start. Um, I think we have found out in time that it's not working the way it's yeah. supposed to, that we need, it's just like any model or system in this country that we create um, for equality is you create this and you have to continually let it evolve like our country is evolving and like people that are battling against those rules. Um, so it needs a lot of, uh, a, a lot more addressing to make it truly work in the spirit that it was, yeah. that it was meant mm -hmm. to have. Shelly, do you think some of why a Rooney Rule type thing doesn't work is because some of the companies and organizations, so not just outside, not just in sports, but there's like Rooney Rules actually in corporate America too, as, mm -hmm. as we know, I do searches for corporate America, mm -hmm. because the companies aren't like authentically embracing that need? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, and we talked a lot about this backstage, is if you're not willing to put yourself on the line or actually make it a part of your DNA and who you are, that is just naturally gonna happen because it's harder. You know, you gave that example of half of you are going to have to work twice as hard to get twice as far. And that can be due to you just don't have enough proof points. There just aren't enough different voices around the table. And that can be any type of diversity, not just women. Um, it's diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of experience. We talked a lot about that in the back in, um, before we came on stage today, too, and just bringing new thoughts and ideas to the table. Now, something like the Rooney Rule or just even Adam Silver's statement around 50% of coaches or um, executive teams, you know, I've been blessed at Wasserman to have an incredibly strong leader in our president, Elizabeth Lindsay, but also Casey's done a great job of making sure that we have, you know, a strong foundational leadership team. The thing is, is that it did take us a bit of time to actually put that out in, in a business practice. We launched the collective this past year, and that was actually saying, you know what, we're going to drive visibility beyond our own organization and put it into a business practice. So drive visibility for women in sports, um, give our brands and properties clients access to information so maybe they need more data, more proof points to elevate how they're approaching women as their consumers, how they're approaching women as additional voices um, to bring new ideas and thought leadership into the organization, whatever that might be. But it was one of those things saying, you know what, we've been doing it for 20 years, now, how do we actually turn it into something and live it and commit and invest in a business to um, drive that message out and frankly bring, honestly, a new commercial opportunity to our clients? Mm. Which that kind of goes back to, are you gonna put yourself on the line or is it just really good business sense? You know what the good news is in this case, it's both, mm. right? Um, so from that standpoint, that's I think what we have to continue to do is you know, deliver those proof points as an insights leader, that's great, that's lots of work for us. 
um, to continue to, but also really work closely kind of shoulder to shoulder with these leaders and say, it makes sense on so many different mm -hmm. levels mm -hmm. to really think about diversity and inclusion as your business practice. What did the people, what do, what do men leader, what, what do they say now? What did they say 10 years ago? And I want to hear about that from you too, where when you give this mandate, because what I, one of the things I fear sometimes is I'm like, I, I've told this story to this panel, but I was pitching for a CEO search to, to male co-founders and they said, well, what's really important about, what should we be thinking about on this CEO search? And I said, you should be including women leaders in your, CEO, mm -hmm. your suite of candidates. And they, this was two years ago and they said, well, why would we have to do that? And I thought that was so, I mean, 10 years ago, I feel like I heard things like that, but now I don't. But do you feel like there's a shift and people still are like, why are we, why are we ringing this bell? Like, why are we banging on the drum so hard? I think there absolutely is. And a bit of it is because we've slowly been climbing the way up and, and do have more voices at the top. I also think that because, because of a lot of the data and science that's behind it that actually shows that it's good business practice, you kind of can't argue with it. You know, prior to Wasserman, I was very fortunate to work at PepsiCo for seven years under you know, a great leader in Indra Nui, and I was in marketing as well. So there were quite a few women there, but at times we would run into barriers and, and different opportunities to share that, share that perspective of, oh, maybe we have to fight a little bit harder or work a little bit differently to, to press forward but you had a larger infrastructure and organization around you to, to kind of help elevate and kind of lift you up. But there's still programs and the need for um, mentorship to exist, yes. no matter what industry you're in, because you need a sponsor, you need someone to help pull you up. So I don't know that it's as much that there's still a, cons I mean, you, you've given us stories where there can be concerns at CEO levels, but you know, among senior leadership, you have to go down and pull up as much as, mm -hmm. you know, really us standing and kind of supporting each other and, and elevating and pushing our way up. Yeah. Um, but the mind shift, it's, it's, it's different, it's changed. And, you know, I have to think it's because we're, we're at the table now and, and that's not changing. Catherine, have you had a mentor or sponsor to help pull you up? Uh, yes, when, when I was at, um, at Walt Disney World, I had two very incredible women leaders there and, um, they showed me a lot about courage and also um, you know, take risks as well. And I thought, you know, great learning in life because my, my mentor once said, she said, you realize 60%, like when, when, when you're looking at a diverse pool for hiring a position, she said, most guys will apply for the job if they're about 60% yeah. qualified and mm -hmm. women will look at the job description and pick it apart and there might be mm -hmm. 20 bullet, mm -hmm. bullets of like what the job description is, but there's that one, oh, I'm not qualified. I can't possibly mm -hmm. apply for that job. And so I had some very strong leaders at Disney that said, you know what, take risks. I said, because the guy who's applying for that job that you want, he's act, you're actually more qualified than him. He's just willing to take more risks. And so I give that advice to a lot of my um, women mentees that I, you know, that, I, that I give advice is take that risk. It's okay and you'll figure it out on the job because I can guarantee you don't know everything. You're not perfectly qualified for every job. I didn't know a lot about NFL before I started at the Eagles, but Liz did a great sales job on me. Uh, but you know, you learn and you take risks and um, you can exceed in any, any area that you go in. Whether you know the sport or not, you have, that, you have that ability to grow in the role and we don't take enough risks as women in our industry. How did you decide, or how did, I know you said it was just natural to you because you had strong sisters, and, but 
to really stick your neck out there and say, I want to do th more things around sponsoring and mentoring. And how did your peers, how have your peers over the years um, received that? Um, it's, it's been received differently yeah. by different people. It, it, and I'll be truthful, you, you asked the question. It's been, as we're moving forward, it's becoming more and more embraceable. Yeah. And mm -hmm. being embraced more. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with comfort. Mm -hmm. that people are afraid of the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. they cre we've created this narrative of what it would look like if women work in sports. Um, you know, one of the elephants in the room that we talk about is, you know, how can people coexist in different sexes in those relationships and not, <clears throat> yeah. you know, not let things go to a place in an appropriate place. And I think that, yes, of course, there's some of that, but I think that that narrative is also uh, overstated. And I think, um, Part of, part of the reason that it's been easy is the vetting process that I go through in helping people. Um, for instance, we talked earlier about Katie Sowers. Yeah, and, I want to talk and, about Katie. And, Tell and, her story. Well, so Katie, yeah. I, I don't know who knows Katie Sowers or who doesn't. She, Everybody. Uh, well, everyone knows, <laughs> knows her now because she did the Microsoft commercial. Yeah. But, oh, by the way, before that, she was, before she was a celebrity, she was a football coach, or yeah. is a football coach. So um, Katie was our daughter's fifth grade basketball coach in Kansas City. And Katie approached me um, after the first basketball practice of our daughter and started talking football. And um, she was an incredible football fan, but an even better football player. And I actually saw her play for the Kansas City Titans, uh, which is part of the Women's Football Alliance at the time. And she's an incredible player, very, very smart football player. And uh, we just cultivated this relationship. And fortunately, when I, was, when I left Kansas City and went to the Atlanta Falcons, um, I had to rig things a little bit, but was able to hire her. And the, the, the good news, it, Katie, Katie was very easy to mentor and to help um, give an opportunity to. Because, and, and that's the important part. Is I did nothing but mentor her, give her some confidence because she was going to a world where she mm -hmm. had less confidence. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't as much of a risk taker. Mm -hmm. And part of that is, is the way that, quite not, let's be honest, that's how women are treated. And you're, so our women are sometimes pigeonholed into that space where they're taught to not take as much risk um, for all of the reasons that we know. And yeah. Katie just did an incredible job. So it was easy to advocate for her. And, 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 and I do want to say this because mentors have been mentioned. And, and I, yeah. want, I think this is a very important part of mentorship because I mentor um, uh, quite a few people, and, and not just women. Um, I work in the space of racial equality. Again, I don't use the words diversity and inclusion. I believe in equality, not mm -hmm. just diversity and inclusion. That's good. I like that. Um, but I will say this, those of you that want to be mentors, mentorship is meant to be unconditional, mm -hmm. totally unconditional, and, and that means uh, in every sense of the word. It's not to elevate your platform or to let people know uh, the work that you're doing, and, and it's also not meant for um, any inappropriate uh, behavior. So if you're going to be a mentor, I, I encourage you, particularly those that, that, that look like me because we hold the power, is become a mentor, be a mentor, and please do it unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And Scott won't say this. I only knew it because I read the article about it, but he not only helped Katie from a mentorship perspective, he and his wife totally gave her the fin uh, some financial stability mm -hmm. and emotional stability to, to 
go on their way, to go on her way, I should say. Where, because one of the challenges, I think, and Allison, you know, I know the MBA has a program, but it's like, how do you get started? And one of the things that a lot of students at the conference will come up to me and say, how do I break in? How do I break in? And I do think that sports being such an opaque and challenging and not well-paying, $10 an hour was Katie's first And job. a ceiling of 40 hours a week. Yeah, ceiling of 40 hours mm -hmm. a week. So like, how do you live on that? At 29 years old. At 29, yeah. yeah. So like, it's so imp impossible for, it's like my husband's in politics and he says the only people that can work on Capitol Hill are underwritten by their parents because they don't make any money. So you've got, I mean, that's so crazy, right? Right. So how did you, how did your, this program really help you get a start? Right. It started way before that. Uh, my mother always encouraged me to, you know, really take a long-sighted view of things and to really um, view education and, you know, networking opportunities as an, as an investment in myself. Um, but I can't say enough about the mentorship piece because along the way there was always someone there to, um, you know, advise, guide, like, you know, for example, Jess Gelman, who is a former teammate of mine, also co-founder, you know, <laughs> obscure figure who's yeah. the co-founder of this, of this conference. But, you know, people like that um, who, as I was trying to transition out of uh, professional basketball and find my space, you know, on the other side of the game, um, were crucial in uh, being a sounding board and beyond for me. So I would say really in taking the time to invest if you, money's always gonna be short. Spend time to you know, pay for a plane ticket to be where you think the decision makers are, mm -hmm. the influencers are. Um, show up at someone's office, um, email, reach out, call. If you're thinking about today, then you really have to think about you know, what you have to do in the future to prepare for it. So I would say yeah. really take a long-sighted view towards that. And it, it's, it's probably generally true about any passion you have because mm -hmm. There's so many people in the world who who work three jobs while they're working on their pet project of like building a tech company, yeah. and it probably is very true. It's unless you take the very known path of going into a lucrative role like finance or corporate law or something, you're probably going to have to scrap it together no matter what. No, absolutely. Yeah. I remember being in Europe and um, you know kind of winding down my career and working um, a job, playing at a Division two team, you know, being a mom. Um, and studying for my MBA at the same time. Oh and you know, wow. if I focused on that moment and I would have lost my mind. <laughs> so you do, you do what you do. Shelly, will you tell us a little bit about the collective? Because I think sure. it's such an interesting um, initiative that Wasserman's doing. Yeah, so I mentioned we launched it this past year and you know, we're in a really privileged position where we represent over 150 of the world's greatest female athletes, you know, across, I think it's, 26 sports, but we have, or 21 sports, over half of, you know, the women's national team in soccer, 26 WNBA players, right? Lots of number one draft picks. Are you kidding me? We have this unbelievable mm -hmm. group of women to tap into, to listen to, to elevate, to bring visibility to, as well as amazing leadership. And then we have the privilege of working with, you know, 400 brands on an annual basis and, and more properties than I could ever list. That just gives you access and opportunity to say, I am gonna stand behind this and not just elevate women within sports and entertainment organizations, but actually really help brands and properties understand women as consumers, not just mom buying a jersey for her kid, if we're gonna just stay in the sports space, but actually what trends are affecting her life, what is happening, like you just said, this is relative to pressing forward in your career, but imagine you have all of that going on and yet you're making 80% of the spending decisions in your house. Yeah. You probably want to be talked to a little bit differently than 
whatever you know, spray and pray mass marketing is going on, or kind of the the pink it and shrink it movement that that went through oh, from the pink, a merchandising pink, pinking of the jerseys, pinking and of the jerseys yeah. and shrinking them. But just this <laughs> idea of, I that. <laughs> but that that was the answer yeah. from a merchandising person. It's come so far. I sat on a panel yesterday with with um, Matt Smith from Fanatics, and they have done a tremendous amount of work to really understand this facet of things. But just the idea that we could very easily take that 20 years of work and turn it around and really bring a level of understanding and authenticity to the marketplace, um, not just in bringing brands and properties together to, to meet you know, a consumer need, but also in education and conferences, and there's philanthropy behind it, and part of being at, at this conference is, is very important for it too. So it's continuing to, again, walk the talk um, and kind of live what, what we're talking about and frankly represent, best represent our talent, mm -hmm. um, both men and women, but really taking that, that opportunity to elevate the role women can play in bringing their stories to bear and frankly laying that groundwork, you know, maybe inspiring some mentorship and, mm -hmm. and telling the, the woman out there who's thinking about breaking into sports and analytics, you can do it, watch, listen to the stories, you know, call someone, have a coffee, you know, do what you need to do um, if it's something you're passionate about. So we're excited about it. There's there's lots of traction. You wouldn't believe how many people we heard from in that first yeah, in that first month. And now we've got some really great projects going. I'm in the middle of a gigantic research project um, that we can't wait to come out with a point of view this fall and and talk more about um, that evolution over the last 20 years and what we think the next 10 are going to look like. How many men like Scott? who have like a power and a, you know, just have a, a platform because they've been so successful, have been really interested and excited about it? Lots. Honestly, we get more calls from men than we do from women. Very much so. The majority of the executives we hear from are actually men, and it's fantastic. I mean, it's not, maybe it's because the, we've already been having the conversations with the female executives, right? And, and, um, and that's already been a big part of work that we're doing, but just saying, hey, you know what, it's not just about the marketing component of it. Do you have education? Do you have thoughts? Let's just talk about this. Here's some things we're doing. We have a you know, diversity and inclusion council. How do I actually put that into my business practice? Do I want to think about things a little differently? Would I maybe you know, do X instead of Y? But it's more that introductory education type of, of conversation that we're having, which is really refreshing, frankly, versus coming in saying, help me understand which set of sponsorships I should do next year or or tell me about the performance of some program. Now we're going in and we're sitting around a table and you know, 90 minutes can get away from us just like that, talking about the opportunity to really reframe how we're talking with women and elevating them in the industry. So what do you think? Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. I think, that, and again, you're all being very gracious, I'm not a unicorn. There, <laughs> I'm serious, there are a lot of men um, doing a lot of work in the gender equality space and diversity inclusion space, mm -hmm. a lot more than, than, than come forward. And I think part of that is, um, you know, for, for certain reasons, I, I, I've never publicized, you know, right. what I do. But I also think there's a lot of people, and as silly as it sounds, because it's been the way that things are, that there are a lot of people doing the work, willing to do the work, want to do the work, but there's almost this, um, this silly boy-like behavior of peer pressure and not wanting to put your, your yourself out front. So I think there's a lot of people that are doing the work. They just do it in different ways, right? Yeah. There's time, there's treasure, there's talent. Everyone um, has has some degree of all of those and use them. And I think different people 
um, are using them, but I think it is a lot more common than we hear about. And it's becoming more common, and it's becoming more acceptable, which therefore makes it self-perpetuate. No. But what else besides, can you point to besides Katie or, well, I mean, we have on the stage, we have Catherine, we have Allison, we have like proof points around how things are changing, but they're still not changing that much. I mean, I would say, I don't know, 75% of the meetings I go into are all men, except me. So why, why isn't it changing? Like what's, what's or do you think it's just taking, gonna take it's time? Just, it's taking, it's mm -hmm. changing, it's happening too slowly. Because again, there are still, it's not just the sports industries. If you look around the, at, at the, the banking world, yeah, yeah, the, you know, right. financial yeah. industries, the, the, I, in every industry that has enormous amounts of, of, of money and power, that's the way it is. It's changing, and it's just changing too slowly. And because it's, there's not just an absence of women, there's an absence of color too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's, and 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 what's happening is there's there's so many only so many seats, and now the people that look like me are having to go through this process. So okay, we've got to find a a black man, a woman, a person of color, and what what these seats are disappearing. So I think that there's also, as this work is happening, that there is this fear. Um, there's so much that has to be done, yeah. and it's just happening slowly. It'll never, it'll never be fast enough, and, and, and I, I don't like saying that change is happening. It is, it's occurring um, at a fast enough rate because it's just never gonna be fast enough. But can we talk about like locker room talk? Mm -hmm. You know, isn't that what... We were doing it here said. when you changed your shoes, actually. I know. Because <laughs> one of the things I think, this is like a working theory, I'm just going to test that on this whole audience, is one of the things I think about why women don't rise faster and people of color, and people who are not um, like central casting sport, male sports executives, is because some of the rooms are so unfriendly. Like, we've talked about this about golf. I remember the first time someone asked me to play golf with him, it was Joe Janiszewski, who's this awesome guy at the Texas Rangers. He's like, do you wanna come play golf with us? I'm like, you're asking me to play golf? Because I was like, couldn't go play golf with them because I was the woman, which I think is unbelievable. And like the things they say in my presence or not, I mean, is that changing? I think I certainly learned how to play golf working <laughs> on the business side of sports. Uh, I, you know, I used to play field hockey, so I had a pretty good- Yeah, me too. But I, I also, um, <laughs> I realized early on that I, I was missing out on too many opportunities by not playing golf. Yeah. But I also realized that most of the time the guys aren't that good at golfers anyway. And so my theory <laughs> was I, would be, I was really good off the tee. So I would really focus on the first hole of the game, uh, of, the, of the round, and I would line it up mm -hmm. and I could hit it about 200 off the tee. And after that, they're like, huh. <laughs> She's okay. I shot over 110, but <laughs> that, first drive. that first drive, and it, it's just a perception thing. And I think a lot of my colleagues and staff over the years have been just too um, scared, quite frankly, to make a fool of themselves in front of their male colleagues or clients or whatever the case may be. And I actually took um, my staff when I was at the Orlando Magic. We actually, when, when, you know, when Daylight Saving come, came around, on Wednesdays we would go out and actually... Um, do golf lessons for my entire team. And because we went from having golf events, which every year most organizations have a corporate golf event, um, and they were the ones driving the golf carts and not missing out on that yeah. four hour interaction with our, with our top clients. And so that really changed the dialogue. And quite frankly now, um, I encourage instead of doing golf, let's do a top golf event. 
So you're getting that, but it's more inclusive. And you, you, because what I realized one time we were we were doing a golf event in Orlando, and I looked around at everyone who was teeing off, and there were no women executives. And I knew I had a ton of clients that were women executives, and they didn't feel comfortable joining our corporate event. So I was missing a critical touch point with half of my clients. And so that that's a real problem. And so simple changes like why does it always have to be golf? Or if we really, if our clients really like golf, let's do top golf or something that's more inclusive. Or let's just not do golf altogether. Let's do something that's a lot more, that's a broader appeal to our clients, um, whether male, female, or with different varying degrees of athletic skill. <laughs> I don't, I don't like, golf. Yeah, you don't golf? I, 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 All I, these years? Yeah, I, do it badly. Never. Yeah. People have asked you over the years. Yeah, many but times. It takes, yeah. to me, I was wasn't good at the beginning and I when I had an extra five hours whatever it takes <laughs> right yes um, I wanted to work <laughs> yeah. and I got better at my job and I worked yeah. learning I, doing my job and then as I got older you know and having a family I mean you have these very sm- in, yeah. in professional sports you have so so little Precious time moments. I would rather work on getting better at my job than shaking hands on the golf course, mm-hmm. but it is, and we're saying golf, golf, but it's like <coughs> golf is emblematic of this like of, old of boys. Yeah, yeah, it's not just about golf, but like of access. Yeah, and like yeah. access, Excuse old boys network, right. jockeying, you know, palling around on the golf course. The locker room talk I was mm-hmm. making fun of, but it's true. I've been in so many situations like that, mm-hmm. and I'm like, so what do you think, Shelley? I think it's about us changing that dynamic. So whether it's you know throwing out golf as the event or mm-hmm. whatever that might be, maybe it's on us then in that mentorship type of role and opportunity to create more forums for those conversations. You know, in the, in the deal making, we might not be able to control that immediately, so maybe that's part of the slow trajectory change. But the more we suggest and or organize and or put ourselves out there first to create those forums for the conversations um, and the deal making, we can provide that greater access. You know, and I'll go back. I did learn to play golf as a child. Um, I grew up in a really tiny town in northern Wisconsin. My mom was a farmer's daughter who was a valedictorian of her high school class and told not to go to college because she needed to stay home and take mm-hmm. care of the family. And that was my motivation, right? So then once she actually told me that story, then I was like, oh, my God, have I got work to do? I've got a lot. A lot I need to do. One of the things she did was sign me up for golf. Mm-hmm. And that was very, my dad used golf a lot to do his work in the paper industry. And so mm. then I played golf and then I sold my clubs in college when I ran out of money and, you know, took a bunch of years off. And now I'm slowly getting back, but I'm petrified. I, I, am a, I can hang, but I'm very afla- afraid to play with strangers. And mm. so, like, it didn't end up helping me anyway, yeah. <laughs> but she knew I need to think about giving Shelly access to something that I couldn't have in the late 60s, right? And so from that, it was just one of those things in my head always thinking about, all right, I I do need to plan ahead. I need to be thoughtful. I need to find a way to get in the room. How do you go about doing that? So guess what? Mm -hmm. Let's change the room. Let's let's create a new forum. Let's create a new conversation. Um, What do you think? I think part of that, too, is um, one side is one group, you know, being deliberate and being more inclusive providing activities. I think the other side is us not being afraid to step through the door, not mm-hmm. being afraid to step in the locker room when male reporters are already there, us not being afraid to step into the all-males coach's office to say hello or sit down and, you know, chop it up. I think it's on us, too, to take that responsibility. Yeah. You're right. One of the things I was, I'm always really, and also just being confident about it, like the, in, my, in my industry, when it's very client-focused, and 
formerly you would get a lot of sports clients by like going out to a bar and worse, um, things I would never do. And I would always say to clients, you know, and drinking, and, and I would say, I go to sleep at 9 p.m. So see you later. Like, I'll meet you for lunch. I'm not going to play in that. Like, you just have to be really right. confident about, like, I'm not putting myself in this, like, male-dominated type of social. I just, it's not, it's not how things should go. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really important for people to put their foot down like that. Not just women, just anyone who, like, that's not central casting for them. So I'm getting a card. We have 15 minutes. And plus, there's some really good questions here. So I'm going to ask them um, for Allison. Okay. How do you think your diversity makes you approach player development differently than others in the organization? I don't know if that's... Oh, I, I love that question. You do? I love... Um, so I really never wanted to... I wasn't dying to work on the player side. Um, but having since joined the team and just looking back on my experience getting to where I am today, having you know grown up in a small rural town to going to Harvard to you know playing in Europe for 17 years, to being an ambassador for the game around the world. I played every role on a team. Um, I've lived a lot of what these guys have lived. So yeah. I, I come to this role with such enthusiasm and, and intensity and, and general passion you know, to mm -hmm. help impact their lives. So yeah, diversity for me is, is bringing all that to the, to the table mm -hmm. for these guys. Uh, yeah, I just want to come on that because in addition to, you have all the playing experience, yeah. you have yeah. all the athlete experience. That's so right. um, in, in 2009, when I was, uh, went to, left New England to become the uh, general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, I hired the NFL's first ever director of player development that was female, uh, Katie Douglas, another Katie. <laughs> and Katie had worked at the Patriots as the number two um, person in, in player development. She did all the programming, all the compliance. She was the, the uh, connection with the league to make sure that we were doing everything the way that the league wanted to do it and creating all the programs. And one of the things that in terms of analytics and paying attention to the numbers, um, one of the studies, and I, I, I forgive me, I don't remember if it was 06 or 07, that year we had 330-ish players at the combine. Of the 330 players at the combine, that year, just about 70% of them had come from single-parent homes. Mm. Of these 70% that were single-parent homes, over 80% of those players were single-parent homes that were female-dominant, mm -hmm. either a mother, a happen. grandmother, an aunt. Yeah. And so when in having these conversations with players in a league that's 70% black, male, you talk to the players, the, the, the person that they trust the least looks like me. Mm. The person they trust the most is a woman, particularly a black woman. So in the role of player development, in terms of getting mm. players to trust the club, trust the truth, someone who's trying to help them, the last person that they would want to talk to is me. So just in going by the numbers, you being in that role is mm -hmm. tremendous, tremendous yeah. help for the Celtics and the league. So thank you. I definitely feel that way. Thank you. Where's Katie, that Katie now? She's at the University of, San Anto University of Texas San Antonio. And um, so she left the Chiefs after that time. Then she went to work for Exos um, in helping Exos and their, their draft eligible players in football and basketball. And now she's at the University of Texas San Antonio. Interesting. For Scott, why in spite of the Rooney rule are black coaches with significant experience continually passed over for less experience with white male coaches like Cliff Kingsbury? Because it's broken. 
I, I mean, there, there's a very simple reason. It, the, the system is broken, and we are not doing enough. You know, you, you were talking about golf, and, and while you were talking about golf and the access, and the, one of the things, you know, I'm working as a consultant for the NFL now in the, um, in the diversity space, I'm still on the Bill Walsh Diversity Council, and we had this conversation recently, and one of the, one of the big problems that we believe um, is that, the, that, that a lot of the owners Mm -hmm. who all look the same, are just not comfortable in relationships because they don't have, right? The, the, the reality is that we are, most of our relationships in life are with people that look like us, whoever we are. Those are our closest communities. Mm. And I, I you think one of the things that we're trying to overcome is that, that there's, um, because of ownership, they, they're not in the same rooms with people that don't look like them often enough. And it, it it's and that is human, yeah. and it's something that we have to fix and start creating this now. Now, I want to take this a step further because we always talk about the Rooney Rule, right? If we're coaching, well, we don't have enough black or female general managers in mm -hmm. the National mm -hmm. Football League. We don't have enough black or female directors of player development. And the other fact is this: we talk about the coaching problem. There's 32 teams in the National Football League, and there's not one black or female team president. And we talk about, and this the is NFL, part, we yeah. get caught up on the optics, and we're looking at the focus of the, the coaching issue. This issue exists everywhere. So, and it's not just on the football side, it's on the business side. There, every yeah. single team yeah. president is a language. white male. Yeah, no, I know. The, we, I mean, you can count on less than one hand the number of women um, CEOs or presidents of sports teams. Yeah, and a couple of them are uh, inherited, like meaning they're from the family, just to be blunt. They're not, they're, they inherit it. Like their father usually yeah. is on the team or they're, you know. So it, that is my, the biggest thing I'm working on by far. Um, there's this good question, which I think, where is there ever a time you had to make it a point that your organization was dropping the ball on DNI, like the NFL, and how do you handle that conflict? I've had some tough Is this for me again? Can we go to someone else? I mean, we've got to go, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know that I would say that I, it was dropping the ball. I think we we've had lots of conversations. We recently instituted a diversity and inclusion council that's led by, frankly, our younger generation, um, more junior folks in the organization. I think it took it took us a bit of time to really listen and understand best practices in the marketplace because we didn't want to miss on um, the swing there and making sure that we got it right within the organization. Um, but also there was an urgency saying, you know, eventually we need to just go and send the signal and give everyone a voice and really make sure our organization is representative of those that we serve in the community and as consumers, as clients and so on. And, um, and it's one of those things where you're not sure when the, when the timing is perfect, but to actually feel like you're behind and want to catch up a bit, I think was, was something that no one was overly comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, so the first year we launched, it's been wildly successful. The manage, it's so meaningful to the management committee to have it up and running. Um, and then taking a little bit of a step back and letting this group, frankly, bubble up because it's this next generation where the excitement is, where, where there aren't the lines that we all grew up with. Um, and they believe that they can maintain that, right? So letting them really put um, the agenda together, do the training program, do the listening, and so on. And um, that's been a remarkable uplift um, to our organization internally and, frankly, 
just to, um, to educate, I think, up the ranks as well. So as much as we were doing, as, as much listening and, and learning from best-in-class programs out there in the marketplace, it actually took us stepping back and letting our own people tell us what it really should look like because we are a diverse organization and it's, it's one where they're just saying, hey, just let us be who we are and facilitate that versus trying to um, overly orchestrate and set guardrails around what you think this should be. Yeah. Um, so it's not that we drop the ball, it's more just maybe listening and, and learning yeah. and trying to kind of oversteer when it was like, once we took our hands off it and said, come on guys, you know, it's, it's your agenda and it's been yeah. fantastic since that got going. Catherine, have you ever had to, well, you're with Jeffrey Lurie now who's so focused on this. So, I mean, hence why we did searches for Jeffrey to bring mm -hmm. more women leaders. But previously, you don't have to name names, but within the MBA, have you had to really, did you have to really say like, we're totally dropping the ball here? No, I think um, any leader at any level, whether you're a manager, whether you're hiring the interns or you're looking, doing an executive search, I think we have to be more um, deliberate in, in winding the pool. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm opening up a position, whether it's interns entry level, like the, the reality is, is our industry is so competitive. Like, you know, any, any intern that we, intern uh, group that we advertise, we get hundreds and hundreds of resumes. And so what, what's really important is at any level, which all of you can influence this, is if you're looking at a pool of candidates, make sure that pool is diverse. Mm -hmm. Because it's a simple number games guy. You're all analytics. So if you've got 10 candidates and only one's a woman and one's a, you know, and it's not a quota thing. It's, it's, it's simple math. If you provide the opportunity or open up at least the opportunity, then you have a fighting chance to, to bring in diverse and diversity of thought is probably my, my yep. big saying um, into your organization. I think it can start at the, the entry level because then let's face it, when we have great interns, we want to hire them. It's that year of training. And then, then you start to build the funnel so that you have a chance at the top to have a broader base of diverse candidates. So that would be my... Yeah, I, you know what? I think that's a really, really important point. If you get a, a, a stack of resumes back or folks that have applied, it's sending them back and saying, try again. Um, this, isn't, this isn't the pool that, that we're looking for. There's not enough here. And there are times when you say, where are the women? Really, where... How can, how can I be in research insights and strategy and I still primarily get um, resumes from men? But why, so do you think, okay, obviously I think this because I'm asking a leading question. When you, sometimes those, those resumes just don't include diversity and I think it's because people still are not yet opting into this industry. Okay. And my working, my hypothesis still is that some of these barriers are still exist, like this, the language of that, what a lot, when you're, you're not culturally, you don't feel culturally assimilated into it because you get in there and the men are talking about golf. I, I would say one of the things that I've really been deliberate about is how are you writing the job description? Oh, that's what I was just going it, yeah. it's, such, it's such a simple thing, but mm -hmm. there are ways to write a job description that opens up a broader description. Mm -hmm. So it really comes back to what I said earlier is women are going to be more critical of every single bullet point every on that job description. And so some of the language and that we use in job descriptions are very male-centric. And so I think we need to be more deliberate about even from a you know, a simple job description can, you know, yeah. narrow your candidates. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm assuming the, the panel <clears throat> we're doing, a lot of people here intentionally, 
and we're somewhat preaching to the choir. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'll just encourage everyone here, and if you're with an organization, you need to have people that are in positions of hiring people that are willing to do the work. And yeah. um, a, a simple example, you know, so I, yeah, with the Falcons, and actually when I was, even when I was general manager with the Chiefs, some of the minutiae that I allowed myself um, to get involved with was, was some of the hiring. And in this work, you have to be intentional. So we talked about the Rooney Rule, and we talked about the um, getting people into the program and getting started, the Bill Walsh um, diversity program, where we're getting fellows in there. And, it, and it's simple. It, I think all you have to do is stop at some point and, and truly do the work. So one of the things we, we complained about within the NFL was that back in the day when, when the Bill Walsh program started, um, Training camps started earlier in July. Training camps for colleges started in a little bit later in August. So as each CBA has gone, that's gone. The NFL starting later in July. Colleges are starting earlier. So this window to find college coaches, black college coaches, come in and be fellows for us, um, there were fewer to pick from because they were having to go to their training camp. Well, there's always a workaround. Those things are excuses, and there's a lot of very smart people in this room instead of finding reasons and excuses, stop saying that there are fewer coaches in a short, smaller pool to pick from. Something that I did was I, it was very simple, that we have the internet now, right? Mm -hmm. So you go on the internet, you understand that there's leagues and conferences around this country like the Ivy League that don't start their football camp, training camp until the third week of August. So the internet's a pretty amazing thing because you can click on and see a coach's face and you can pretty much figure out what they look like, right? I mean, it's not that difficult. And that's how simple some of this work is. We try to make this so much more difficult than it is. And something we started doing is every single year we started hiring um, coaches in the CIAAs from the, from the MEAC because they start um, seasons later, the Ivy League. And you can see who the black coaches are. You can see who the female coaches are. You can see who these people are. It's all very simple. We try to overcomplicate this stuff. And we're at times trying to find ways to be so much smarter that rather than just using very simple common sense to mm -hmm. fix some problems yeah. that are everywhere in front of us and there's very simple solutions use the internet find <laughs> find a good candidate <laughs> to be an intern Part, parting words about using the internet or things that you're most hopeful about a sentence of what you're most hopeful about or parting words for the audience wow um i'm most hopeful about the next wave of nba female coaches. Yeah. Let's see what we add to the mix for the That's coming good. season. I like that. Yeah. I think just this next generation of leaders yeah, that um, it's amazing they don't necessarily, we're, we're kind of having to be retrained because of the way that we grew up. Yeah. But I think um, if we're doing our jobs for our kids and this next generation of leaders, they're really going to crush it. So mm. I'm excited. I'm excited for you know, bringing a more diverse workforce that brings diversity of thought. And the backgrounds, it doesn't matter, gender, just bringing different experiences. Don't, your career doesn't have to be linear. You can do all sorts of yeah. different steps along the way. And um, I think I'm most excited for people to take risks and, and try something new and get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I'm most hopeful for the people here in this audience because of what you're bringing, because you're um, so much more thoughtful and better than, than, than my generation. Because mm -hmm. I think I'm the oldest person up here, so Baby you're not even my. Yeah, um, I'm excited that, that this is going to be a better place. We're in this weird place in this mm -hmm. country right now, mm -hmm. but I'm excited and hopeful that there's people here that are going to be far smarter and better than, than, than my generation. 
Thank you all so much. Thank Very you. Good. Thank you all for coming. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.